You are listening to our Southside Baptist Church podcast. For more audio content, please refer to our website. This is baptistchurch.com. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, and we just praise you, Lord, the lyrics, the words, of the songs that we've sung. Reminded us, dear Lord, of the love of the Father. And Lord, we come back to you again and again, dear Lord, we are reminded that, dear Lord, your love is unfailing, is everlasting. And the Bible says that God loves those who fear him and put their hope in his unfailing love. And so, Lord, that's what we do in this room. And Lord, we just thank you that you never wash your hands of us. You never walk away from us, Lord. You see us as your children adopted through the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And uh, Lord, we just praise you for that. Lord, I ask you to cleanse me right now. Let me be a tool in your hand. Lord, if there be anything in my mouth or come out of my lips or, dear Lord, went into my ears, or into my eyes or, Lord, anything in my heart that, dear Lord, would be displeasing to you, cover me by the blood of the Lamb. Let me be a tool in your hand, Lord, and we'll give you all the praise and the glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to remain standing, and I want you to take your Bibles, and I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And we're going to be looking at a subject today that for a lot of people is very, very difficult. It's, uh, it's kind, of, um, kind of in some ways a touchy subject. In fact, here lately it seems like we just got a lot of confusion around the issue of marriage, divorce, remarriage. A lot of people have a lot of questions, a lot of confusion. Social media a lot of times seems to be uh, a breeding ground for a lot of different theological positions. And so... Um, let me say, first of all, and I, and I may use this dog every once in a while, but when this guy, this is, uh, these dogs are, they're high-priced dogs. This guy began to uh, follow us a little bit and, and uh, I'd contacted him. And so he, he called me and he said, look, I've got a dog, but this dog has an overbite. Now, it's several thousand dollars, you know, it's an expensive dog, huh? And so I was thinking, you know, oh, it looks like this. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. But anyway, uh, he said, he said uh, this dog has a flaw. And I laughed. I said, you know, we all have flaws. And he said, you're right, we do. My mom was divorced. Uh, my mom was divorced at 19 with, uh, with a little girl living in New York City. Well, New York. Niagara Falls, New York, when she met my dad. And they married. My oldest sister, Diane, she was divorced. Uh, her husband left her and she remarried and, and God blessed her. My younger sister, Marcia, she was divorced and remarried. And if I were to ask in this room how many of you and your family have been affected by divorce, I would venture to say that probably every, every hand would go up. And, and, and so this is a touchy subject. And, you know, as, as Christians, we're, we're flawed. Uh, some of us have gone through a painful divorce. Some of us have remarried. Some are in the process right now of trying to figure out God's will for your life. 
uh, some young people in this room, you've not yet uh, made that venture. You've not committed yet. So you're still, you're still there trying to gauge this whole idea of marriage. But we have to admit that uh, this is something that has affected every life. And I pray that as you're listening, that you're attentive and you listen closely. You know, in, in England, the trees around, uh, around England, a lot of places in England, it doesn't take much of a wind to blow these trees down. A lot of times these trees are massive, but a good wind in England can blow a massive tree down. And let me tell you why. The reason being is because the water level is so high there that trees do not do like they do here in Mississippi. They don't put these deep roots way down, tapping into that water level way down below the surface. These trees have shallow roots that are, are able to just pull that nourishment and nutrients out of the top, but the first wind that comes along, they fall. You know, last week, uh, I got kind of a little bit frustrated with you. Now, let me tell you why, because it's important that you and I, that we listen because what I find a lot of times, I had a man misquote me one time, I'll never forget it. And I looked at him, he was a big man. I said, let me tell you something, I never said that. But you know, sometimes people misquote you. And now with social media, it's easy to misquote and misrepresent, especially people such as a pastor. So I don't need you kind of in and out. I need you plugged in with your Bibles open, everybody attentive, you're writing, you're, you're taking down notes, and uh, I think that's important. Let me tell you why, because in Hebrews 13, 17, the Bible says this, the Bible says that I will one day stand before God and will give an account for every word that has come out of my mouth. This position right here as a pastor means that I am liable and accountable to God one day for every single one of you. And you know what the Bible says to you? The Bible says you're to obey them that have the rule over you. The idea is, is that you're listening, you're attentive. Hey, listen, if I'm not preaching something that you believe is in the Bible, you have every right to call me into question and to fire me. You can terminate me. But you need to be attentive, you need to be listening. And the Bible says this, not only this, the Bible said that, you, that, uh, the Bible says that one day when I stand before God and, and I'm standing accountable for how I've led you, the Bible says that we want it to be a day of rejoicing, a, a day of joy. There's a lot of confusion today. So we're going to be looking at that. 1 Corinthians chapter, and I'm not even there yet, 1 Corinthians chapter, chapter 7 and we've been looking through uh, the book of Corinthians. Ledge did an excellent job. He walked us through chapter 6, the idea of lawsuits and, and you know what we are to do in legal matters, civil versus criminal. And, and you know we looked at that. And then in chapter 7 now, we're beginning to look at the idea of marriage, remarriage, divorce. And what does God's word have to say about it? So let's pick up there. First Corinthians chapter seven, beginning of verse one. You know, it takes a minute. I'm kind of, I have to sight my rifle in here, folks. And I don't know what it is. I just have to, I guess I should have got up here sooner and sighted this sucker in. But anyway, but anyway, first Corinthians chapter seven, beginning at verse one. If you're there, say amen. amen. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. And all God's people said, <laughs> no, I'm teasing. But since there is so much immorality, 
Each man should have his own wife, each woman her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married I give this command, not I but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To, re to the rest I say this, I not the Lord. Now everybody, let me stop. Paul is not, I heard John MacArthur say one time he did not believe in a red letter Bible. And the reason he said, I do not believe in a red-letter Bible is because we begin to think anytime we see the red letters that that carries more weight in the Bible than other portions or parts of the Bible. And he said, that's not true. It is all, Paul said, all inspired, God-breathed. That's what Paul told Timothy. Peter, I mean, Paul is not here giving his opinion. He's not saying, now this is what the Lord says, now let me tell you my thoughts. That's not what he's doing. He's saying from what we are able to collect out of the Gospels and those who witnessed and heard the teachings of Christ, Christ dealt with this matter, but he did not deal with these matters. So we have the word that Jesus said about this. We don't have a word that Jesus said about this. So Paul said, inspired by the Holy Spirit, I'm going to tell you some practical things that have to do with marriage. And there were a lot of them in the case of Corinth. So all God's people said... So to the rest, I say, verse 12, I, not the Lord, if any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Nevertheless, each one should retain the place in life that the Lord assigned him and to which God has called him. This is the rule I laid down in the churches. Let's pray again. Lord, we thank you, dear Lord, for your word. Lord, it's passages like this that we feel a weight, I do. So, Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that through the power of your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, you're not only inspiring and filling your messenger with your Holy Spirit, but, Lord, I pray that you're filling every heart in this room and people who watch by live stream so that, Lord, they can take the word of God inspired by the Holy Spirit and discern and filter what your messenger is saying. 
Lord, I pray that you'd use this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Let me say this, I, I, and I, I need you to listen very closely. I have a very, very strong view of marriage. In fact, let me tell you, if there's anything in about 40 years of ministry that I've not enjoyed, let me tell you what it is. It's, it's premarital counseling, marriage, marriage ceremonies. I don't like it. I really don't. And you may say, well, Brother Jeff, I'm just really shocked. That disappoints me in you. Hey, listen, the reality is there is so much weight when a man and woman come to your office and they say to you, I want, we want to get married. And they usually say it like this. They go, Pastor, we want to get married. And you're going, if there's any way this cup can pass, let it, no. The reality is, is that to, to me, the, the weight of the ceremony, everything having to be perfectly done and, 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 and doing everything you can in premarital counseling to, to troubleshoot these two people, because the reality is, is let's face it, two people are looking at each other and what they've done in the dating process is they have hidden their idiosyncrasies, they have magnified all of their assets, they have minimized their liabilities, they put their best foot forward and now all of a sudden you've got to be the bad guy that's trying to figure out what he doesn't know about her or what she doesn't know about him. And it can get ugly. Eloise, uh, one of our secretaries from years ago, she used to laugh and say when she'd see me doing premarital counseling. Let me tell you what premarital counseling involves if you're thinking about it. It involves three sessions, gut-wrenching sessions. It involves two books, His Needs, Her Needs, Building an Affair-Proof Marriage by Willard Harley, and it involves a book on finances. It can be Dave Ramsey, Larry Burkett, Ron Blue, but you have to do a book on finances. Those are the two. Uh, Eric and Bethany are over there going. Because <laughs> their ceremony's coming up in October. But anyway, let me tell you, when, when I do a ceremony, and for years, Ledge and I were talking about this Friday, for years when I would do a ceremony, I kept score. And let me tell you, my score was good. Sheila's nodding her head for years and years and years and years and years and years. Hey, listen, I had 100% batting average. I mean, if you were married by me, you made it. In fact, when we came back from Africa, we were in a little church, a little country area, and, and I walked out, it was snowing, and, and it was one of those weird Mississippi times. I walked out and, and, and walked outside to do something, and about that time I was getting ready to turn around, go back in the house, and a lady pulled up, rolled down her window. I don't, even, I don't even know who she was. She laughed and she said, hey, Brother Jeff, do you know what you were doing 11 years ago? I said, what? She said, you were marrying me and my husband. And she smiled and said, thank you. It's still holding strong. I was in Walmart out at uh, Castlewoods and this lady was pushing this little boy and they were riding along. And all of a sudden she stopped and whispered and she looked at me and she said, you see that man right there? And the little boy said, yes, ma'am. That man married your dad and I years and years and years ago over in Fannin. That's what you want. It don't always turn out that way. When I marry a couple and they don't make it and it's, it's happened since, I grieve. Man, I will do whatever I can 
to make a marriage work. I will give. I will talk on the phone. They can come to my home. I will counsel. I'll do everything I can because I just do everything possible because I want the marriage to make it. Why? Because of the weight of the responsibility and the cost to children when it doesn't. And so this is the Apostle Paul. You know, Jesus had strong views about marriage. In fact, take a left and let's go over there. Let's look at Jesus for a moment because Paul brings up Jesus. In Matthew chapter 19, go back to Matthew, the first uh, book in the New Testament there, Matthew chapter 19, and let's look at Jesus, what Jesus had to say about marriage. In Matthew chapter 19, beginning at verse 1, it said that when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee, went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to do what? What were they trying to do? To test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Jesus replied, haven't you read? that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Why then, the ones that came to test, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. You know, a lot of people just think, well, you know, preacher that uh, marries people that have been divorced before, he must really be a bad thing. He must be a bad prophet or false prophet or whatever. Let me tell you, I'm in good company because even Moses relinquished in the case of divorce and remarriage. But listen to what... Why then they, they asked, did Moses command that a, that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. Remember, Jesus will always take you back to the idea, the intention of God, what God intended. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples, now you have to understand at this point, the disciples get into the conversation and, and this troubles them. They're exasperated here. The disciples said to Jesus, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, then it's better not to marry. You know what the disciples were saying? Well, if that's the case, then I tell you what, I'm not, we, uh, we don't need to marry at all because this is a critical decision and if you mess it up, if you don't get it right, then you're stuck. I mean, they were, they were really troubled by this. Now watch Jesus. Jesus replied, not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they are born that way. Others were made that way by men. Others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept this. You know what Jesus was saying? Some people, listen, everybody listen, cannot be single. You know what Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 7? Paul spends an enormous amount of time. And you know what he's doing? This is where Paul's at. And I can't walk over there. I would if, we, if it wasn't for the camera. But Paul is over there where Ladari and all of that, these young guys are. And you know what Paul's saying? He's saying, listen, you guys, if there's any way possible, you don't need to marry. You need to remain single. 
You need to be sold out and devoted to Christ. You need to be like Amanda McDonald who goes to Egypt and doesn't have a care in the world. And Amanda's grieving right now because Amanda wants to return to the mission field. Because let me tell you what Amanda has. Amanda McDonald has the gift of singleness. And what Paul says is, Paul says, you know what I wish? I wish everybody were like me. I wish everybody were single. I wish everybody could just commit and devote themselves to the kingdom of God, to the things of God. But the reality is, is that most people can't do that. You know what Jesus was saying when the disciples got so exasperated? He was saying, listen, not everybody can accept this. The reality is that some people are not made to be single. I'm not. And you may not be either. It's a gift. And, and if it's a gift, it's a good gift. You know, for years, I remember when I was struggling in, in, in um, you know, I'd date a little bit. But the reality is, is that I just simply couldn't find the right person. And I made myself a commitment because I'd seen so bad, many bad marriages, I made myself a commitment. I was going to wait on God because I wanted the right person. And one day in an adolescent psychology class at Holmes Junior College, not straight behind me, but the next seat back, two seats behind me was this beautiful brunette with her hair hanging down to about right here. She was extremely shy. She didn't say anything. And one day I got my nerve up and I said, I said out loud, I said, when I leave class today, I used to fish, I'd fish any place. I'm going fishing. And she said, that sounds good. I'll never forget taking her home, Sheila, just in case you thought of somebody else. <laughs> and, uh, but, but before I took her home, I said, Dad, uh, I said, Dad I've, I've met a girl. And I, I tell you, Dad, I, man, I'm smitten. But Dad, she's been married before. She's a widow, 19-year-old. And I think that's what he said, 19-year-old widow, son? What happened? Her husband was in drugs and he got killed, murdered. You mean, son, in college you can't find a girl? That, you got a 19-year-old widow been married before and her husband was killed? Yes, sir. But you got to meet her. And my dad was smitten. And my old grandmother with them old drawn up arthritic hands and elbows bent over double. I took her to meet her. Well, I took Sheila to meet my grandmother. We had a little family get together. My grandmother was sitting there on a vinyl, a little vinyl couch, living on a fixed income, didn't have nothing. Sheila came in, shy, quiet. I had already told my grandmother her story. Sheila sat down next to her. And my grandmother, Philip, toward the end of the day, she did this. She said, come here. She said, doll, baby. 
That's what she called me. Nobody else called me that. Doll baby. She said, doll baby. That's a good girl. You need to hang on to her. And I did. You know, and you may say, well, you know, Brother Jeff, you know, have y'all been through some tough times? Yeah, we have. Have there been times that you thought you, you weren't going to make it? Yeah, I told you even in college. She, she went out there one day. I mean, she, 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 we were both at Mississippi State. I won't get on Mississippi State right now. Okay, But, but anyway, we were both at State. We're both State graduates. Uh, but anyway, we were at Mississippi State, and she got mad one day, and she jumped up, and we were having a fight, and she said, I'm leaving you. I'm going home to my, to my mother and she went out and got in this old 62, it was, I think, no, 1960 Chevrolet truck that was her dad's that he had given us. And I heard her out there grinding the gears, trying to get it in here. And man, I, look, I'm not worried about her, I'm worried about the truck. So I went running out there and I said, and popped the hood up. I said, stop, stop. And then I got up under, you know, fixed it where the column gear shift would shift. I'm surprised she didn't run over me, and I'd be the second husband dead. But anyway, you know, uh, we, we, we got it into gear, and I said, hang on. I went around, got in on the other side, looked at her, and, I, and she said, what are you doing? I said, well, if you're running away, I'm running with you. No, I didn't want to go to her mother's. <laughs> the reality is, is that marriage is not easy. And when you look at Jesus and you look at Paul and you look at the Bible, in fact, the Bible says this, Malachi, in Malachi, the Bible says this, God hates divorce. Let me tell you, I hate it. And anybody who's ever been divorced, you know you hate it too. Because the reality is nobody wants to go through that. The reality is, is that you see the pain, the, the struggles, and the hurt that are brought into the lives of children. So it's not, it's not easy, but marriage... Marriage was instituted by God in the garden before God implemented and instituted this, the church. In other words, you know what God did? God created everything. And then God created Adam. And Adam's standing there butt naked looking at God. And you know what God, you know what the Bible said? God said, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then all of a sudden God looks at this naked man standing there, probably standing about like I am. And uh, God said, this, this ain't good. And God said, uh, this, all, and Adam's going, you know, the llamas back there got a male and female, giraffes, male and female, lions. You got nobody. And you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that God put Adam into a deep sleep. The Bible took from him a bone, a part of him, and formed and fashioned out of that a woman. And do you know what the Bible says in the Hebrew when Adam saw Eve? Wow. Whoa. Why? Because God realized that for many of us who don't have the gift of celibacy, who don't have the gift of singleness, the reality is, is that many of us are like Adam. We're incomplete. And when you look at the Hebrew, it was like puzzle pieces that were fitting together. And when I say puzzle pieces fitting together, and you've heard me talk, homosexuality, gay lifestyles just simply physically, biologically do not work. 
they don't work. Intimacy in, between a husband and a wife, listen, is facing one another. It is a very, very critical, tender moment. And I say this, marriage and even sex was given by God as a gift to man. It's for propagation of the human race. Have you noticed this? Have you noticed the two big issues right now? And not only in our country, but in the world, what are they? They are LGBT movement and what's the other one? What's the other big political hotbed? Abortion. Abortion in the LBG, LGBT movement, Q movement. The reality is those two issues, if they were allowed to have complete 100% effect, would in time diminish the human race. Let me ask you something. What was the first command God gave Adam and Eve? Be fruitful and multiply. Propagate. You see, God gave marriage, God gave sex, God gave sex between a husband and a wife. Listen, not, for, not just simply for propagation, but also for pleasure. And it's also the picture of Christ, his, Christ and His bride, the church. So it's all part. And see, when we get over into 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this is what Paul says. Paul says, listen, sex is part of marriage. And listen, you should fulfill your vows, your commitment to one another. And the only time that you don't have that physical intimacy between you and your husband, you and your wife, is when it's mutual consent for prayer, for a spiritual matter, and then listen, don't keep it away too long, because if you do, the reality is you'll fall into temptation. In fact, let me say this, if you are not fulfilling the need of each other, if you're not meeting that sexual need, if you're not meeting that, that call for intimacy and fellowship in that way, in the sexual context of marriage, listen, you are setting each up for failure. It is a sin. That's what Paul says. Now let me also say to all, every young person in this room, it is for marriage and nothing else. When God, in Matthew 19, when God established the institution of marriage, it was a monogamous man-woman relationship for life. That was God's intent. But you know, God has an, a will and a purpose and a plan, a design in a lot of other areas of our life that it doesn't work out that way, does it? You know, people, I've heard people say, well, you know, no adulterer will enter heaven. That's right, and neither will a glutton. You ever notice how we pick and choose? You ever notice how whatever area we see, seem to have some sense of supremacy, we feel like we're good at, we use that to beat up everybody else? And you know now we've got social media. We get on social media and we just hack and cut away at people's lives when we don't have no idea the intimacy and the intimate details of their life. We don't know anything about the physical abuse a woman may be going through that may literally threaten her life. Let me tell you, I had a woman come to us one time years ago. Sheila will tell you this. She came to our door, knocked on our door. She was standing there with these big giant sunglasses on. She had a little baby girl in one hand, a little bitty girl, toddler in the, standing by her. Sheila went to the door and she looked at her and said, are, are you all right? And she could tell she had been crying. She came in, sat down, and finally she looked. She called her by name. I'll not say her name. 
she said, take your glasses off. And when she took her glasses off, she was literally beaten. Sheila and I, in that moment, Sheila's crying, and I'll tell you why in a minute. In that moment, Sheila and I took that woman, took those two children, put her in a safe house here in this city to protect her. We drove about an hour and a half to get her in a safe place. We were poor as dirt. We made $250 a week. We went to Sears when it used to be over here in Metro Center, and we bought a little old black and white TV because the kids wouldn't have a TV. And we set her up in this safe place. When I left that church, I'll never forget, the husband, that woman, those two kids came to our final fellowship. And outside I was walking around when all of a sudden that husband came up. He teared up and he said, Brother Jeff, he said, I want to thank you for watching out for my family when I was living a life I should not have been living. And he said, I wish I had a friend like that. And I called, his name was, well, I won't say his name, I looked at him and I said, you do. I said, his name is Jesus. Everybody looked this way. About a week later, that man, his wife, the baby, were killed in a head-on collision. The little girl that was standing there, I, got, I was not at that church, but I picked up a deacon and we went to the ER in Memphis. We went to the ICU and I stood by that little girl and walked her through a painful, painful process of losing her entire family. Before people judge and, and ridicule and are harsh with those who have gone through a painful separation and divorce, they need to remember something. They do not know all. Jesus gives the idea. Corinth was a mess, and, we're, and I'm going to close in a moment, but Corinth was a mess. And so when he steps in, now let me, let me say something here, and then I'm going to close. Go ahead and put you at rest. G, Paul is going to talk about four categories. He's going to talk about the widow. She was a widow. Sheila was a widow. He's going to talk about the virgin. I don't know how many we got out of those anymore. I'm just going to be honest. One of the most painful parts of premarital counseling now is dealing with sexual activity prior to two people coming together. I don't like it. I hate it. And hey, I don't require it. I just simply say it might be good for you to go ahead and disclose if you need to disclose something. You may want to do it now. So he talks about, he talks about the widow. He talks about the virgin. He talks about the married. And he talks about the unmarried. And you know what Paul says? Paul says to all of them, he says, listen, if you don't have the gift of celibacy, singleness, then you are better off to marry than to burn with passion. Every man in this room knows what I'm talking about. I was listening to Muhammad Ali years ago when he was in an interview and he was in an interview with John, Johnny Carson. It was after Ken Norton had broke the jaw of Muhammad Ali. 
And Muhammad Ali went the full round. And he lost the fight with a broken jaw. Now remember the doctors told Muhammad Ali, they said, had you been hit, had you been hit with an opposite blow, your jaw would have completely broken both ways and you would have instantly died. So Muhammad Ali, one of the greatest boxers of all time, is fighting Ken Norton, who's broken his jaw. Muhammad Ali said he knew his jaw was broke. And for the next 10 rounds, he is protecting his jaw while continuing the fight and loses the fight in the last round by decision. He talks about when they went down and when he, he came, they put him under surgery, we woke up, his teeth were wired together. But Johnny Carson asked him this. He said, Muhammad Ali, he said, he said, I've heard this about athletes, especially boxers. He said, I don't mean to meddle, but in your relationship with your wife, do you have any kind of uh, relationship physically before a fight? Muhammad Ali said, well, that's kind of a private matter. He said, I could ask you, Johnny Carson, about your physical relationship with your wife or wives or whatever. He kind of made a remark. But then he made this statement. He said, no, I don't. He said, I built a cabin that's got everything I need in it. He said, I go to that cabin and I train. And he said, by the time I get ready for a fight, he said, I've had nothing to do. I've had nothing to do with my wife. And he said, I am pent up rage. I am a fighter. For every person who understands what Paul was saying, who understands what Jesus was saying, Jesus was saying this, there are some men, men mostly cannot, ladies, men can't. Most men have not been given the gift of celibacy. Some have, but many have not. It's an area of constant battle. Let me say, ladies, when you don't meet the physical need of your husband, you position him to be attacked by the enemy. And in our day, Satan is having a field day in the area of pornography. But what Paul is saying, what Jesus was saying was simply this, man, woman cannot live without it unless they have been gifted by God to do so. And it is better to find a husband, better to find a wife, better to be married than to burn with passion, lust, to the degree that you can't function. And every man in this room, women, you may not understand this, but every man knows exactly what I'm talking about. It will become such a raging thing in the soul of a man, he can't think of nothing else. He can't even serve God the way he'd want to because it's a need that has to be taken care of men and it is taken care of in a monogamous relationship with a woman in marriage and that's it. And you say, Brother Jeff, I thought we were going to get a lot more into this. Well, let me tell you, Paul said, widows, if you can't handle it, remarry. Paul says to virgins, if you can't handle uh, a celibacy, being single, find your husband, find your wife. Paul said to the married, stay committed. Don't touch any other woman. You make sure your wife fulfills her needs to you and husband, you fulfill her needs as well. And then finally he says to the unmarried, and that's where we'll be next week because the unmarried is another category. What is it? I believe it is people that have been married before. And what Paul is saying is there's life after a failed relationship. Let's pray. Let's stand.
Our Heavenly Father, we just come to You, and Lord, we love You and we praise You, Lord. Lord, I know this is a difficult subject. I know for every person in this room, they've gone through painful relationships. Some of the people in this room have gone through a painful marriage, and they're scarred, and they're beat up. Some have gone through sexual promiscuous behavior before they've married. They still know the scars and the pain of that, of feeling used. Some in this room are in living relationships, and what Jesus or Paul would say is simply this, you need to marry. You need to make this right. There's some in this room right now that, Lord, they're single, but oh, how they want to be married. So Lord, I pray, dear Lord, for those men and women who may be single, young people who are still in college or young adults still thinking, you know, I want to find the right person. God, I pray that you give them the patience to wait. I pray that you give them the patience to wait, to wait on God to not think this guy, this girl, to not get called up in high school relationships, to forfeit their college, their future, to forfeit, dear Lord, maybe your will for their life because they simply say, I've met this person, I just feel good about it. God, it's not a matter of feeling good. They need to know that they know that this is God's will for their life. Pray that young people would settle down, get their education. If God, that's your will for their life, that they would be faithful to uh, do the things that they need to do in following your will and in time wait on you. Lord, there's some in this room, they're single and they think, you know, God, I, I don't know if that day will ever come. I think about that old missionary couple, two women that they were talking, one was married. She had a husband, the other one was single. She did not. They both lived out in a remote area of Zimbabwe. At retirement, they were talking about a woman who had a husband. She looked at the one who did not. She said, you know, how did you make it? She said, my husband, Gene, he took care of all those needs. He did this, he did that. Anytime something broke down, he fixed it. What did you do? And I remember Mary smiled and looked and said, I had Jesus. He was my husband. He took care of everything. May those in this room that feel that God has called them to be single, those who may be listening, may they be reminded, male or female, man or woman, that one of the great things that we can do to God is to take that singleness and put it in service to Christ. May they never be ashamed. May they understand that it is a gift. And some of the greatest people that I've known in my life have been single. Some of the greatest parents that I've ever known are those that have never had a child. They were just parent to everybody else. And so, Lord, I pray, dear Lord, that you wrap your arms around us. Lord, that you would take away that that, uh, spirit of condemnation for those that may have had a long marriage, those that may feel like, you know, I've been successful. I've only been married one time. Well, the Bible says any man that looks on a woman to lust after is an adulterer. He's adultery in his heart. But God, I thank you that Paul said, and such were some of you. And he begins to name what we all were. But in Christ, positionally, 
because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ to our account, our sin imputed to his account there at Calvary, we are sinless, pure, holy, covered by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, the past, the present, the future, all our sin. So Lord, for those who may feel today, they may feel... They may feel in their heart that, Lord, I I wish I could have made that marriage work, and it didn't. And, Lord, I, I don't know how you feel about me now. May they understand they have a loving Savior who has wrapped his arms around them, smiled, embraced them, and said, My blood that was shed on Calvary was sufficient to cover your sin, your failure, even in the mistakes and the failures of your first marriage. There's hope. And so, Lord, I pray that, dear Lord, if there be one here, if there's one watching by live stream, they've never given their heart to you. They've never been saved. That, Lord, one of the great things that they could do today is repent of their sin and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Be my Savior. Be the Lord of my life. For every woman in this room, they have a relationship. I envy Sheila sometimes. I don't know what it is. I'm not a wife. So the church is the bride of Christ, but every woman in this room knows what it is to have a man who protects, who provides, who watches over. There are women in this room, their husbands are working today. Why? Because they're having to work, because sometimes their job requires it, and they're faithful to be that provider. Lord, I thank you for that. So Lord, wrap your arms around us. If somebody needs to come to this altar, they need to spend a moment in prayer. There's a single person who says, Brother Jeff, pray for me. Whatever that decision may be, may we make it now. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. You come. There may never be a moment like this moment right now.